All right, the Casey catch-up, and we've been graced with Dave Kalama to join us. Um, he's just dropped his phone, but he's still here. Um, yes, yeah, stoked to have Friendly. you. Stoked to have you, here, Dave, and um, excited to, I don't know, just, just froth on foiling, and we'll just chat before you've been over on the South Shore. And, and why don't you um, start with that little story just to kick us off? Yeah, so a few days ago, I was over on Oahu with Todd Bradley, and got to go toe foiling on the South shore of Oahu and it was fantastic. Um, the trade winds kind of a little window of opportunity morning. And so it was relatively calm for a couple of hours and, uh, boy, the, the waves kind of like Waikiki just seemed to roll forever, but with the foil, um, yeah, it was amazing. It, it was yeah. really, really fun. It's, um, it's amazing the sort of way. Not many, not many skis out. Oh, epic! It's amazing the ways that you just dismiss surfing, yeah. even stand up paddling, that are just epic, like unreal for foiling. And um, yeah, I mean, it, they would, some of them would break or they'd break for a minute, but the majority of the time they were just rolling swells, just carving forever. I mean, <laughs> literally. You you probably could go a little further, but your legs are so burnt, you, you can't go any further if you really, you know, are into turning and stuff. So it yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, that's, I guess, an epic little intro, but um, I wanted to get you on here to speak specifically downwind foiling and by the sounds of it, uh -huh. that the run or those, the toe foiling you were doing was kind of the length of some people's downwind foil attempts. Um, so I guess to start off with, tell us about your first experience foiling. I guess it was back in the day with the, the air chair kind of style setup and, and your learning experience then. Well, yeah, the, I want to say it was mid, late 90s, something like that. Um, Brett Lickle got a hold of an air chair and we thought it was the funniest looking contraption ever that you sit on, which really seemed funny, but we went out and tried it. And quite honestly, it's the closest I've ever come to drowning <laughs> other than one really significant hold down. And I'll tell you why, is because we were laughing so hard that when you wiped out and you were underwater, you couldn't stop laughing. So yeah. you started inhaling water and choking. It was, the most ridiculous thing ever. Um, it just felt so awkward to be seated and you're strapped in. It feels like you have absolutely no control. You end up, you know, augering in and you're two feet underwater and you're laughing at yourself and you can't swim because you're stuck to this thing. And we didn't know to wear flotation at that point. We just, it did, hadn't dawned on us. And we weren't wearing flotation, so it wasn't part of our normal equipment. Mm. So you're stuck underwater with this. Oh, it's just hilarious. It was hilarious. But, you know, it didn't take us long to go. What, why, why would you sit down? You know, we're surfers. Let's figure out how to stand up and mm. ride this thing. And we tried the foot straps and it didn't seem like there was adequate control over how much leverage the board had. And so it took us a day or two to figure out to integrate the, uh, ski boots or snowboard boots and that gave us the leverage we felt like we needed to control the board 
and then we were kind of off and running from there. Yeah, right. How was the, that learning experience? I guess the foil was pretty small compared to what we're using nowadays. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, yeah, it was basically... It was what the kite guys used for quite some time. I mean, basically the kite guys adopted that size foil because the you needed a lot of speed to fly. And um, so, yeah, the foil was small. You had to be going, you know, eight to 10 miles an hour just to get up out of the water. And then you probably averaged between say 15 to 25 was your normal kind of flying range, you know? Terrifying. Terrifying, <laughs> but so much fun, so fun. Just, I mean, to be flying above the water at that time, even though it took the jet ski and you had the boots and that felt awkward to be in the water with the boots, um, that sensation um, of flying above the water, not actually seeing what you're riding, just your boards levitating above, there's no water coming off the rails. It just, it was so different than anything we'd ever done to that point. And not any different than today. The sensation is literally exactly the same. And I think that's why so many people are attracted to it. That sensation of flying above the water is so outside of riding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, normally you feel the wheels turning under you or the board interacting with water or land or the skis vibrating as they go over the snow or something. There's, there's always some kind of contact mm -hmm. with what you're actually riding, but with the foil, it's you're just going through the water. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. it's such a unique feeling. And I think that's why so many people are attracted to it. Because you, you truly get the sensation that you are flying, mm. literally yeah. flying. Yeah, I remember the first time I, I saw it actually. It was, um, I was in Maui, but we were watching like a, an old video called Epic Maui. And it showed all these different sports and all these different locations. And towards the end, there was um, videos of, I'm sure it was you and your crew. Um, looks like toe foiling either Jaws or somewhere over on like it looks like maybe La Perouse I, I, I don't know exactly where it was um but it was some epic footage of you guys toe foiling in these boots and we were blown away like it was amazing it took it took us so long to I guess get to the modern day foil which you know go foil I guess was the first from my understanding to, to sort of reinvent it and um I guess how was your transition from those air chair foils to the modern day go falls was there a bit of a learning curve or did you pick it up pretty quickly oh no there was a massive learning curve and honestly i i saw the video of kai like everybody else did and i thought well if he can do it i can do it i know how to foil and i didn't think you could do it without boots but obviously you can so i put um I borrowed a foil from Pete Cabrina, which was basic kite foil, mm. not knowing any better at that point, <clears throat> and mounted it on a 12-foot kind of all-around uh, stand-up board. And I was in such a hurry to get out there, and I forgot a leash. 
<laughs> but I figured, ah, no problem. I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> anyway, I, I launched it about Hukipa. I killed myself, nearly killed myself about three or four times, just seeing the foil go right past my head from tacoing. Didn't get any flights. It was absolutely the most humbling experience I've ever had in the water. I paddled all the way to the harbor with my tail between my legs, came in just destroyed mentally. I, I really thought I would be able to do this. Um, in any case, it was quite some time before I gave it another try and it left such an, a negative impression. Yes. That even the next time I tried it, I wasn't very excited about it. I was probably still intimidated. Um, I tried it again. Thank God, Brett Lickle and Alex really kept egging me on. And I was almost going out to appease them. And the sec I did it my second time. And I was like, look, guys, I did it. You happy now? I didn't kill myself. <laughs> yeah. You know? And then I went out a third time. And about halfway through the third session, I, I did a bit of a turn. And I got this feeling that I just... <laughs> and never looked back. It was such a specific moment and it was i don't know something like eight or ten months before i touched a stand-up or a surfboard or anything but a foil board it, i was all in yeah all in. Right. straight up to alex's workshop i'm dude put a box in my board you know <laughs> i need it by tomorrow <laughs> yeah. i think amazing. we've all been there and i think your experience there is kind of and so you went straight get your first modern day foil was a a downwind foil attempt my first yes it was a downwind on a cambrina kite foil so not even close to adequate by today's standards yeah. um you know but at that point we didn't have any point of reference and i thought well i'm as good as anybody downwinding i've foiled before in the past so i should be able to figure it out and it it kicked my ass so bad mm. It, it was literally the most humbling experience I've ever had in the water. Yeah. I, um, it, I think a lot of people can relate to, to not exactly that, but something similar on their first downwind foil. It's, I don't care who you are. It's your first attempt is almost guaranteed to never be successful. I feel it's, you've almost got to pay your dues. And I guess that's one of the reasons I'm doing this, this, I guess, podcast is to, to chat to people who've been through it all before, got over that hump and are now just loving it. And um, so when was your, so you went then went into the sort of surf foiling and on, on your stand up, when was your next downwind foil attempt and was it successful? So my next downwind foil was, was a few, few to several months after I'd really gotten into the wave riding foiling and you know once again I kind of went up the coast I had the the first Maliko version which would sort of be considered a small foil by today's standards but larger than the Kai so I, it was adequate and uh you know I remember that thought going through my mind all right you're as good as anybody downwinding you can actually wave foil now so you, you kind of know how to foil you should be okay, you know, and, uh, but 
I had that other experience as sort of a reference point. So I didn't go out with any real big expectations, but, but I was really hoping for success. And I didn't almost kill myself, which was the good thing. The bad thing was on a, on a full Maliko run, two 15 second glides and one 30 second glide over essentially 10 miles, right? <laughs> so pretty humbling, pretty humbling, but, but I, I saw it. I, I got enough on that 30 second glide to the kind of, oh my God, it is possible. But I got such a small taste. And, and from there, it was just these little micro improvements. You know, the next time I went, I got two 30 second glides and two 15. And I thought, well, this, this is pretty hard. Not, not really catching on that quick. And I thought I'm gonna give it one more try before I ride it off. And I think I got a 45 second glide, two 30s and two 15s again. So I'm like, well, that wasn't the improvement I was looking for, but it was improvement. So don't walk away yet. Let's see what happens the next time. And that's kind of how it went for a long time. Just these little, barely noticeable improvements over over months, really. Yeah, it, it, that um, sounds very similar to my first attempted downwind foil too. I was over in Western Australia and uh, Matt Nodich and I, had gotten hold of a, a board and a Kai go foil and we're down in um, the, the king of the cut run, which is considered one of the better runs in, in Australia. Yep. So conditions were good. So we're like, well, we've only got one of these boards. Let's, let's try it out. So we literally, we did, we planned to do 10 kilometers. I think we pulled the pin at about five because I got about two, I wouldn't even call them 15 second glides. I think maybe two 10 second glides and Matt Nottage didn't even get close to getting up once. And, you know, we were like, wow, this is hard. It's yeah. And everyone I know, everyone I know has literally the same story. Either didn't get up or their longest glide was between 10 to 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, um... and I think, I think that's part of what back then kept me so attracted to it. And even now is it's humbling, it's challenging. It will kick your ass, but that's what I love about it. It's like, okay, you beat me yesterday. You're not beating me today. And so it really challenges you. And, and when you get that little bit of success, it's so rewarding. Mm which almost means the next day you go, you're going to get your ass kicked again. Yeah. <laughs> One step that, that's part yeah. of the fun. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think it, to me and, and a lot of other people I've spoken to, especially on this podcast who have gotten the downwind foiling, um, it's definitely the hardest uh, aspect of foiling or discipline of foiling. But I think it's also the most rewarding because it is the most difficult so it's that, you know, yes. risk reward, you know, you got a steeper learning curve when you get it. It's like, wow. Um, so I, what do you, what do you recommend people to start on equipment wise now and, and then condition wise as well? So they're two really important things, I believe that that has come a long way in our knowledge um, to, to make it a little bit easier for people getting into it now. The question, what do you recommend? Is that what you said? 
uh, equipment and conditions, what would you recommend like for people starting oh, out? Okay. Now? Sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear it clearly. Yeah. Um, I would recommend kind of a three to five Ks run. Don't, don't set yourself up for anything really long. Just, just get a little sample mm. because it may not turn out well. And you don't want to be out there forever just getting more frustrated and more frustrated. Um, so keep, keep your run short um, until you have a little taste of success, you know, and then you can start to lengthen your run if you want to. In terms of equipment, I would say ride the longest board you can get your hands on or, or whatever will offer you the most glide mm. because catching catching a swell to get up to speed to have the opportunity to try and come up on foil initially is, is the hardest part of the whole deal because if you can't get up you, you you can't start working on how to ride or how mm. to connect all of that's irrelevant if you can't get up on the foil so big foil big board um and yeah i mean that's that's basically it Mm. give yourself the best opportunity don't look at your friends that are riding these little short boards and go oh well if he can do it on that then why can't i do it on that mm. because you have you've got so much to learn and and once you learn it yeah for sure you can go ride a shorter board you know mm. um but in the beginning get the biggest everything because it'll just make it easier to create opportunities to just try and figure out what's going on at all it's so foreign you know yeah no that's that's really good advice actually my first i think my first successful downwind run was on maui alex lent me this i called it the aircraft carrier it was about nine foot long and it looks like a rectangle it looks like a box that literally had come out yeah. of uh, and he just put a little bit of rocker in it because he said he, he used it once and it was sort of nose diving and he said oh let me know how it goes and it was just literally a it looks like a box, like a race board box, not even a race board, just the box. <laughs> and yep. I got the first, I got, I got up, we then we launched at Hukipa, got up at, um, at lanes and I followed the whole way down to Sugarcoat and it was mind blowing. And, you know, it was a bigger foil at the time. I think it was the Malika 160. So not that big nowadays, but you know, Malika, the, the, it was a good day. It was a big board. So I could get the glide to get up and, I think once I was up, I only came down two or three times and it was, um, what, what a day, you know, everyone remembers those experiences that when the glide starts to, to link and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, big foil, big board. And I guess that you, you're, you've worked on a lot of equipment and really I love following what it is that you're doing because you're leading the way. You're in Maui, you guys have the conditions, lots of opportunity to test stuff. Um, I remember seeing the subsurf foil boards that you guys were riding. They they looked like um, they looked like this, you know, rectangles, super short. So you could, I, I believe, so you could turn them really sharp. Um, yep. Not so good for paddling, but you've changed direction since, I, I believe, and, and specifically for downwind foiling, you've gone longer and narrower. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, in the beginning, the whole thing was 
we started out with eight sixes and kept chopping them down or shaping them shorter. So the trend was, well, how short can we go? The right so <laughs> it took a while to, to figure out where that point of diminishing returns is. And, but we eventually got there and, you know, the box was a big departure from surf sort of design and mentality, but it, it fulfilled a lot of what seemed to be the design criteria that helped the performance of foiling, mm. trying to get it short, hiding the volume somewhere. The boxiness created some stability. Um, the shortness allowed you to pump a little better. So there was a lot of functional um, benefits to a board like that. Um, but if you're looking through surfing eyes and, and surf design, perhaps the ugliest thing you could ever come across. But if you were looking at it from a foiling perspective, it was like, ooh, all, all that little box opened up a lot of performance oh, um, big time. avenues. I remember foiling you know? on, on Maui in the harbor and you were apps like I'd never seen someone link turns so like figure eights, just figure eights, no pumping. And you're on this square board. I'm like, man, I need to get myself one of those. They're like, it looked unreal, like paddling out, obviously not as good, but yeah, tell me the direction you've gone. You've gone down, sorry, interrupting. Well, so in, in, the, in the process of design and getting so addicted to the downwinding and, and really figuring out the SUP part of it, um, I always felt like the, the number of prone foilers was exceeding the number of SUP foilers. And so I wanted to try and connect all these prone, prone foilers to downwinding. And I figured if I could figure out what that took, it would open all the prone foilers from, you know, 30 second to maybe a couple minute rides into 30 minutes to an hour, whatever amount of coastline you have to work with. And I just, I really felt like there was a lot of opportunity there. So I went down the path of trying to figure out what, what prone, what a prone board would need to get up downwinding. Mm. And along that way, like a lot of other stuff in foiling, it really kicked my ass. It really frustrated me. I had a lot of failure, but I had this vi vision, thank goodness, that I wouldn't give up on. That if I can just figure this out, so many foilers will get the opportunity to do this. Mm. And, and even though there was a few times where I'd take a few months off, I'd eventually come back to it and essentially started making tiny foil, uh, excuse me, tiny paddle boards, paddle boards in the old traditional sense mm -hmm. that, that were normally 12 foot. I was making six foot versions of them essentially. Mm. Um, and because and, I used to do a lot of paddle boarding back in the day. So I have a little bit of history of, of how they work, how they're designed, but I gave it a foil board influence but was trying to create essentially a six foot paddle board um and so i kept making some progress there but i soon realized that 
the improvement I could make with the board was, wasn't that much, honestly, from one board to the next, from a good board to a bad board. Yeah, you and I would notice the difference and, and yeah, it would make a difference for us. But I felt like I was so far away from having it be attainable mm. to, to most people um, that it was really, really getting frustrating. And it wasn't until first I tried the little web gloves and I was like, eh, they, they helped a little bit, mm. you know? And I was like, okay, there's something there. Didn't help a lot, but it helped. So I was like, well, shoot, what if I just had bigger web gloves? which got me thinking paddle. And I was like, duh, you're a stand-up paddler. Why, why not put paddles on your hands? Mm. And so that's what got me going down that path. And when I incorporated the paddles, it was night and day difference. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, you know, I was making three, 5% differences in the board, you know, pretty big advancements in board terms, but not that big of the ground that I really needed to cover. I needed 30% differences yeah. and the paddles offered that. And, mm -hmm. and when I figured that out, that's when I really made some advancement in prone downwinding, which then kind of started like, okay, well now I can go back to the boards and really figure out what needs to happen here. Cause I, now I know it's possible. I was doing it and so yeah, it, it wasn't about how short I could go, it was about how efficient can I get going, which really got me going in a different path. And I learned so much um, about coming up off the water, the narrowness, mm. nose, entry. And like I said, you know, paddle boards in the traditional sense made a huge influence in, in what I was doing essentially. Yeah, I remember seeing a, a clip of Matahi in in Tahiti and he was paddling on literally it was a 10 or 11 foot like prone paddleboard yeah I, I remember seeing that too Marcus and I were watching it looking at it like man he makes it look good but that's a big board to be foiling and you know it was, it was too long and so yeah. you know Marcus and I've had a lot of um I've hassled him to make me a you know a prone downwind paddleboard for probably two three years now and he's like no nah, it's not happening you know I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Just, just use, try using your stand up because it's, you know, that's probably the closest. You're not going to be going smaller than that, which was his view because you need more paddle power. And I guess when we saw you with the paddles, but it's like, of course, you've now got the same amount of um, paddle power, so to speak. You've got the, the speed from, you know, on a stand up, we've got the paddle. When you're prone, you've got bigger paddles on your hands. So you've got that speed. And, and are the boards that you're prone paddling the same as what you would be stand-up paddling or are they a bit different? No. So, so now my prone boards have essentially become my downwind boards. There's, I ride exactly the same equipment no matter how I get going. Yeah. Um, it's the same board. Uh, they've gotten longer. So I'm probably, I could probably ride shorter boards for stand-up if I wanted to. But in all my experimentation, I've found that there really isn't a big benefit to, to having them as short as possible. Mm, no. um, I mean, for sure, it's a little easier to turn, but the turns you're making out in, in blue water aren't surfing. Nah. They're, well, they're not like wave riding turns. Well, yeah, there's just your troughs and it's, you're arcing, you know, you're trimming yeah. rather than weeping. Yeah. 
you're arcing. You, there are times you can make kind of sharp turns, but they, your turn has to serve a certain level of functionality. It's not just for the fun of it. Mm. And so you need to projection out of a turn is necessary. It's, it's, it's not really an option. Mm. You have to make turns that project you forward to stay with the swell mm. or, or connect the next swell. And so once I kind of figured that out and that my prone boards were carrying enough volume to stand on, um, mm. they became the same board. And there was another sort of psychological jump I had to make. My stand-up boards were always capable of allowing me to paddle out standing up. And so there had to be a certain level of stability, which meant there had to be a certain width. Yes. Once I adopted the philosophy that I don't have to stand up to get in position anymore, mm. and I can sit down and paddle, you know, sitting on my butt or on my knees to get out. Now, all of a sudden, I don't need that 25, 26, 28 inch wide board. I can ride 22, 21, whatever I, 23. Um, and the volume's there that when I get in position, I start heading down, I can get to my feet. My paddle technique's adequate. I can maintain my balance. And it makes it much easier to get up once, once you commit to catching a swell. Yeah. And there was, there was tons of performance benefits to going narrower. Mm. And all it required was that I was willing to sit down to paddle out. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a really good tip. And that's something that I think Marcus and I played around with a lot talking length you know we've got our i guess our surfs up downwind boards down to 510 and we found that my 7-2 my original 7-2 that was like a square block it's narrower but longer that paddled up way easier just because of the length so we okay let's and we sort of found for us and for us like we're 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 paddling six foot boards six by 24 and that's a horrible board to paddle out like you say like it's got zero stability like it's only good once you're out and you've taken your four strokes to get going and then you're up and it's kind of it's but the width and the length people are saying, oh you could go shorter than six foot it's like you could you could definitely go shorter but it's yeah. not going to help you yeah there's no performance benefit to it anymore no yeah no. i mean my my board right now and I, I literally only have one downwind board is six, six by 22 and a half and thick, like six and I don't know, six, six and a quarter, maybe more, something like that. Yeah. How many liters? Is so it? it's, it's, it's really, it's got a lot of beef in it. Yeah. So it's, it, did it have like what, a hundred, 110 liters or, or less than that? Uh, I, I would guess somewhere between 107 to 110. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yeah. You know, for, so for stand up, it's adequate. Mm. For proning, it's a big bulbous cork. <laughs> <laughs> so I can imagine you found that on that thing. You're not duck diving it, put it that way. No, no, no. Yeah. But it's so streamlined, it'll pop over anything, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Really, really yeah. cool. I love that. I listened to your podcast with um, with Eric and you're talking how you, you, you're no longer constrained to what other people think of your designs. And to me, that's just, I love that. Like it's do what you think's best based on your own theories 
based on no history. You're recreating history now. You're designing it for foiling. You're not designing it off surfing or paddleboarding or whatever it is. And I think that's yeah. awesome because it, it is a new um, form of surfing, so to speak. And at, at this point, even though you might consider it a failure, there, there really is no failures because like you just said, because you're designing in a, new, a completely new forum with mm. new objectives, all information is good information, be it stuff you want to use or if nothing else, learning what you don't want to integrate into your designs yeah. is, help, is, you know, at times just as helpful too. Yeah. So yeah just just experimentation and learning because you have your theories of of how things operate on the surface right mm-hmm. and so you you it's hard not to bring that into your design philosophy when you're making something for foiling but that interaction of the board and the water has such a different dynamic and set of objectives what you maybe thought didn't work now is applicable Mm. and what you really love in in normal SUP all of a sudden is the opposite of of what you might want in a foil board yeah so it's it's really so different and I've I've heard you talk about the V versus you know the flat and the planing surface and I and um was it Matt Costa sort of challenged you on that saying um you know pushing it like not just putting it down and pulling it up but like sort of doing it at speed have, have you Touching done that test since? have you have you done a test to you know well hard to i don't need to honestly i don't i don't need to do the test again because i've already done it mm-hmm. um with round bottoms with foil bottoms and on all these different things and basically what it comes down to water will not let go of a surface unless something else can replace it. Mm-hmm. That's something else, 99.9% of the time for us as surfers is air. Mm. It can't let go if the air can't get in to replace it yeah. or allow it to let go. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why when, when, when you hold the glass upside down filled with water, you yeah. can pull all that water above the water level. It's mm-hmm. because air can't get in to replace it. Once it breaks the surface and air can get in and all the water can fall out. Yeah, it's a really good way of explaining it. Yeah, everyone's done that. Air has to be able to access that surface that the water is holding on to. If it can't, the water can't let go. Yeah, yeah. What I've seen a lot of, I guess, especially in prone boards, is is like a V at the front to like a double concave to a release edge. I haven't seen your latest boards. What do you, I guess, do you want to share what you've got going on at the bottom or is it just pretty simple V? It's really simple. I've, I've got V in the front and it's essentially flat towards the tail to accommodate where the the base of the mass sits, you know? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's really quite simple. Now I've got some other things going on with the chines and, and outlines and stuff like that. But even the rock rig, the rocker is not very complicated. It's got to be flat where the plat, the plate sits. Mm. Um, you know, you might put a little rocker behind the plate for sure, mm. or a big step. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I've changed some of my philosophy about steps and their functionality. 
I guess basically in a, in a general sense, I'm designing a lot more for subplaning than planing. Yeah. And my thought is if you're planing you're on here. your board, you're already doing it wrong because you should be on your foil at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You can get onto your foil subplaning. Mm -hmm. And so that means I need really good acceleration at, at the initial part of acceleration up to about four to five, maybe a little bit more mm. uh, speed. So that uh, seven to nine kilometers an hour. Yeah. Approximately yeah. Um, to get on foil and, and then planing designs shouldn't really be part of the equation unless you touch down. But I'm, I'm, that is such a small percentage of the time. I'm not going to design dedicate much of my design to it. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes total sense. And I think those speeds you're talking are pretty much spot on, you know, when we're paddling, I, I teach a lot of, I'm teaching a lot of guys online on how to, you know, teach them the hardest thing I feel is, is paddling up onto the foil and any advice you can give on that we'll get into soon, but paddling up onto the foil, it's definitely a strength thing. There's no doubt about that. You need to go to a certain speed um, equipment for sure. Bigger board, bigger foil is going to help. Narrow board is going to help. Um, and then getting that lifting speed of your foil earlier is going to allow you to have your technique better because you don't have to strain so hard to paddle as hard. So I guess first question, have you done any, like, do you ever train in flat water to try and paddle up or do you only ever get up on the foil when you're in waves or in bumps? I, I, I don't essentially know. I don't train. I've done it once and I put some, real effort into trying to figure it out so i at least knew what was going on there mm -hmm. um so i have paddled up on the flat water but no i don't dedicate a lot of time to really figuring out how to make that as easy as possible um but what i did learn when i did do it was all the things you suggested are exactly what i would suggest board foil on down the line mm -hmm. but what i found technique wise initially i was trying to pop up on the foil or the board out of the water too soon. Yeah. And I found that while I was paddling and pumping, I was better off pumping little flutter pumps for yeah. longer to mm -hmm. get the board speed up before I really tried to break the board free of the water. And even then it wasn't, it wasn't this big, okay, I'm ready to fly and then send it one time. It's more like pump it, even though the board's not leaving the water, then maybe it bounces. Still yeah. don't even really worry about flying yet because mm -hmm. you're still increasing your speed with every thrust of your pump. Yeah. And then eventually your speed and, and your pumping will just come up. I don't want to say automatically, but it will come up much easier and stay up if you focus a little bit longer on on generating that speed as opposed to flight yes i think that's a really good tip that that doing the the movement of pumping uh, there's actually a video jeremy riggs put up of him flat water paddling up i think it was the nl 160 which is crazy like ridiculous yeah. in flat water and, and don't you know, use him like, too much of a reference he's kind of a freak he's a freak <laughs> right <laughs> but but his technique is applicable for everybody and there's benefits for all of us exactly. but don't think you're gonna do it like him 
that's a really good point. He's a freak. Uh, but like, I think that the things that I really took away from that, because I, I'd done it, but I hadn't seen myself do it. Um, the, the bounce he would do while he was paddling, like, like you said, that, that flowing motion, he was, the foil was pumping before the ball was out of the water. So he was doing that yep. pumping motion and he got his speed up first. And then I think looking well, from what I teach now is speed first, almost getting the lift, lift, move your back foot back over the foil. And then that's when you get that initial lift. And, and, you, and you, as you said, you're getting a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more, and then you're free. And it's like, wow, now I'm up. And it's, um, yep. it's a different thing in flat water, no doubt, because you have this time to get that run up. And there's no, you know, a little bit of wind at your back is going to help too. But the fact that it's flat means it is just, you know, practice technique. In the bumps, it is easier if you know what you're looking at, but harder if you're just going in blind. So what I talk about is, you know, peaks and troughs and when and, and, and feeling it. The, the, the shorter, steeper bumps are better than the, you know, the big waves. You're looking behind you to come and see. And so, so what would your advice be on getting started in a, you know, good downwind conditions? Um, yeah, I think I would just echo exactly what you're telling your, your clients. Um, I mean, well, I was just talking to Tomoko the other day mm-hmm. and, and she's really dedicating a lot of time to trying to figure out. And I told her one of the, one of the best things that I think I can offer her in terms of simple tips is patience. It, you cannot overemphasize how important it is to be patient mm. because if you start chasing every little thing that moves out of there, you're cooked in a matter of minutes yeah. and then nothing good is going to happen from there. So you really have to be patient even if you identify something that you think you can catch, maybe let it go. Mm. Watch how it breaks. Yes. Is, is the one behind it perhaps the better one or even the next one behind that? Mm. And, and that's one of the things I always tell people. I go, the one that you think you want is definitely not it. <laughs> it's at the very least the one behind it and maybe even two behind it. Yeah. So patience um giving yourself an opportunity to to get familiar with identifying bumps that are even catchable mm. is, is really important because you might think oh this one's i can catch this one and you don't um and you you kind of still haven't identified what is catchable mm. in a sense i mean you have to yeah you, you got to trial and error and you're going to learn from failing there's no doubt about that but boy, if, if you're over eager and, and you just spend too much up front, you, you're not going to have any left when the right opportunity comes along. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one of my big, big things when I'm telling people now that's just to get yourself inside the door get into the party. There's so much going on. So once, once you have an opportunity to get up, but if, if you can't identify and then exert yourself at the right time, it, it doesn't matter what is after that. You'll never find out because you'll never get up. Yeah, I think that's a really good tip going out there and just even just sitting down and, and watching the bumps roll by and, and 
one thing that I've really found is sometimes the ones you can't see are the best ones. Like it, it's a weird thing to like, you can feel them. And even if you just like lay down and you sort of just like have your feet off, off on the board and you're just sort of gliding, you, you'll feel which bumps give you the most push or acceleration. And those bigger ones that you're thinking will give you the push, they'll actually almost draw you backwards and, and, yep. and not give you a, a, a true downhill. You, you go uphill well, well before um, you know it. So it's, um, yeah, really well, patience is such a key one and, and feeling it, um, seeing it. And one of, the, one of the things I use, whether or not I'm either going to pull the trigger or not on, on, to exert myself to catch one, is the one before, does it surge me forward? Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, it kind of gives me a little bit of a, woo, okay. And I kind of paddle with it, but I don't really, I don't put much effort into it, but I start establishing a rhythm. And if it, if it kind of gives me a little bit of a nice little push, like you're saying, mm -hmm. some of those ones that almost feel like they're catching you as much as you're catching them, that's when I know, okay, this one gave me a nice little surge chances are the next one's going to be similar to it. Mm. So I'll, I'll take that sort of as, as a cue to, all right, all hands on deck. Let's get ready to go. That one gave you a nice little surge. The next one's probably going to be catchable. Yeah. And, and that thing you spoke about having that little surge after a couple of strokes, I was chatting to Marcus and much the same. If I take, I know if I'm going to catch the bump that I'm eventually going to go for two strokes before, like you do two strokes hard and you're like, you know, if you're getting that push, you're going to probably catch it. And if you don't get that push, I'll just stop. I'll stop and I'll sit back yeah. down. And I'll be like, oh, that was yeah. a bad choice. Sat down, recover, look again. Patience, patience, patience. Yeah, it's, that's a really key thing. And then I guess you see so many times people go out and they're, you know, they're looking behind them. This one, this one looks like a good one coming. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're looking at the completely wrong way. We got to look where we're going, and and like the bigger ones. And and what I always say, I'm sure you'll say something similar, is the the smaller bumps, the smaller like really cupped out bumps are the best ones. The ones that are massive and Absolutely. sort of stretched out, you don't want to know about. Yeah, it it takes so much effort to catch those big ones, um, and, and on rare occasions you you do if they feel like they stand up enough. Mm. But boy, you, you, you're playing with fire if you think you're going to try and catch those. Um, like you say, the, the small, steep ones mm. that have a lot of curve in them, mm. those, those are, that's it, you know? So if yeah. you can identify one of those and get your board into it, you, you give yourself a chance. Hey, I'm going to turn my light on real quick. It's yeah. getting kind of dark. There we go. Um, and I remember another thing you said to, I'm not sure if it was, on a podcast, we were just chatting, but about, it was actually on, on a stand-up. So I guess pre-foiling and, and the, might have been one of your clinics you, you did over here on, on the SUP, but it was talking about when you're on a SUP, the, the nose, the board, you know, we go up and down basically. And when you want to exert yourself and I, when, at the time I always thought you want to exert yourself when your nose is down, but, but you were saying that's too late. You actually want to find the, 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 the top part of the, the up and then as soon as the nose starts to drop, that's when you want to think about accelerating. So basically here to here. And then by the time you're downhill, you've already got the speed and you're gliding. I think that's Yeah, you, you start loading it up when the, when the board's pointed up. Mm. But of course, you're not going to literally accelerate, but you've got to start creating some power and some torque and some rhythm 
So the, as the board starts to transition from the nose up to the nose down, boy, the minute that happens, if you've already got the paddle loaded, it's going to start yeah. to go. And then when that tail lifts and it feels like you've got a chance to slide down, yeah, you, you, you're half a beat ahead um, of where you need to be, and, and it gives you a better chance of catching it. Right? Yeah, yeah so. that, that really stuck with me when I was... And the more your nose goes up, it, it's almost a, a telltale of how steep it's going to be behind you. If that nose doesn't come up very much, chances are the tail's not going to lift that much. Yeah. But if the nose, if the nose for a split second really kicks up, then you know, oh, okay, chances are the other side of this trough is steep too. Yeah, yeah. Which um, it's amazing how similar and different um, stand up, you know, paddling to stand up foiling is. There are similarities, but um, I guess like where you sit on the bump, foiling versus outrigger stand up surf ski paddling is different because your tail is up high because you're on much longer boards. When we're foiling, our foil wants to, or we want to be where our tail would be. So maybe explain once you are up, what you are then looking for because that, and the amount of energy you're trying to use. Well, initially when you do get up on foil, um, you, you need to think of it like a wave. Any surfer, knows that when you catch a wave you don't go straight down to the bottom and expect to keep moving down in the flats it's as soon as you get to the bottom of the wave you're deaccelerating, mm -hmm. and even more so with downwind you get to the bottom of the swell it's uphill yeah. on the other side <laughs> so not now you're doubling how quickly you're going to slow down mm -hmm. so you've got to go across like you would on a wave which allows you to keep that downward angle of, of continually sliding and continually moving like just like you would going across the face of a wave right mm -hmm. and so your placement should be at least halfway up the swell and the closer you get to the crest the the higher the speed potential is mm -hmm. as long as it's standing up right yeah now there's a lot of fluid dynamics going on where They'll lift for a while and then eventually they'll go away and stuff like that. But general philosophy and technique, middle of the swell to the top offers the most potential speed and identifying your next bump. You want to create as much speed as possible to launch yourself over to wherever that next connection point is going to be. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good way of putting it, staying... I sort of say is you're using gravity to your advantage. You know, it's yep. downhill. It's as simple as that. You want to be, if, if you're ever going uphill, you've made a big mistake and, and you'll know about it really quick. Um, when I was really trying to learn the, the downwind sup ropes, I was paddling with Matt Nottich, who who'd paddled a lot on an outrigger canoe. And he would sit so high on the bump that his tail would almost, like he'd almost drop off it and almost miss it altogether. And he'd have to go for the next one. Whereas I was so far in front of the peak, I was in the bottom and I was having to paddle the whole time just to try and stay with it. And I remember looking at him, I was, you know, following his lines on a Maliko run. And he, he, it's pretty, he, if you're really aware of it, the speed and the, the power, when you are in the right spot, you don't have to paddle. And when yeah, you're in the, the wrong spot, does most of the work. When you're in the wrong spot, you've got to do a lot of work to stay in that wrong spot. So sometimes less is more and, and i really do find for, for foiling 
Um, I've been out with a few mates lately and, and they're paddling and pumping the whole time. And it's like, hey, we're foiling. Just, just glide, you know, stay high and glide and, and staying high in the bump, taking those angles, you'll have a good time. If you're paddling and pumping like you did to get going, you're actually doing too much work and you're making it far harder than what it should be. I, yes. So one of my latest tricks like i've i've gotten to the point with my downwinding where the faster i try and go the quicker it's over so unless i know it's really really a fast day i i don't try and go fast at all mm -hmm. in terms of point a to point b and so i i start creating these games with myself okay how few pumps can you do and get down the coast yeah. And so that means my decision-making has to get better. My placement on the swells has to get better. And I try and make my connections through decisions and technique as opposed to muscle and, and exerting myself. So all those things, while they're fun and they, and they develop your skills, um, yeah, they're, they're really important because they also increase your efficiency, mm -hmm. which, which allows you to do longer runs. But, you know, there's on down the line. Yeah, I've noticed you've been paddling a lot with your paddle, you know, like a sword in the back. What are you using yep. to, to tie that up? A lot of people have asked me, actually. What, what's Dave using? Just a, a inner tube from a bicycle. Oh, just yeah. cut the ends and essentially tie it, you know, kind of like, like you would a guitar. Yeah. Sling it on your back. Um, and I've, I've found that... As soon as I forced myself to put my paddle on my back, it made me really develop my decision making and my strategy. Mm -hmm. um, and not just the decisions, but when I make the decisions, I've got to make them earlier to avoid those really bad situations where I, if I had my paddle, I could muscle my way out of it. Yeah. But because I don't have my paddle, I've got to make better decisions earlier to avoid those flat spots or identify them sooner and start pumping to get through them. That was, because if I wait too long and then try and pump, a lot of times I can't pump my way out of it. Yeah, that was one of my questions because I noticed you have your paddle on your back, which like for when conditions are good, fine. Totally understand you shouldn't have to paddle. But sometimes when, when I'm getting going over here, it's not the best conditions. And, you know, I'm always trying to not paddle. I actually just did a run earlier and I did, once I got going, actually I got going using my wing and then deflated it. And then I had my paddle. I saw that. Just really tricky stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to ask you about that. I want, you, I want you guys to do whatever in Maui. Um, and then I only took one paddle stroke and that was because a little bit offshore and I was so bummed because you don't need to use your paddle as much as people think. Once you're up and going, it's, as you said, only to get yourself out of, sticky situations because you've made a bad decision so by having it there it actually promotes bad decisions by putting it on your back it makes you really think about what you're going to do and why you're going to do it and yeah it's a i like it i love it that it's um yeah you know i found even initially i wouldn't have been able to do it but now the as soon as i get up my usual thing is to get that thing on my back as quickly as I can, settle in, take a couple breaths, try and calm myself down because you know you're usually a little <laughs> frantic from the get up. 
Yeah. Um, and, and the sooner you can calm yourself down, now it's trying to tune into what's out there and where do I got to be and start making my connection points, um, the better I am. And, and even on light days, I'm more efficient at pumping my way through sticky situations than paddling my way through them. So uh, I'm all in. Even my fastest run ever was with my paddle on my back, which I never thought would happen. Mm. I always thought the paddle ultimately is the fastest way to, to foil down the coast. Mm. Um, but I'm not so sure of that. My, my decision-making may have developed more than I thought, but it happens at such a slow rate. I honestly can't be sure it has, you know? Mm. Yeah. That's, I, I, yeah, I think I've, for sure. I guess on that, when you're going, when you're going faster, are you like, I'm going to touch on wormholes because I've got an example of when you, I saw you use one in a sup race in Olakai. Um, but are you pumping? Like, I guess ideally you're not pumping over because you have the speed to get up and over those ones. But when you're going as fast as you can, are you doing little pumps up high? Like obviously you want to be as high on the mast as you can to, to maintain your top speed. And actually on that, when we did that Kihei run together, I remember I got up earlier than you, but once you were up, we're using the same gear, I'm pretty sure. And, and you were just so efficient, higher on the mast. And once you, what it, what it felt like was once you had that speed, you just never lost it, holding your max speed for so long. Um, so my question and is- that's, that's all placement, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's no question you're more fit than I am. <laughs> so the only way I'm going to be as faster or faster is is with decision and placement mm. and and there's no doubt in my mind everybody can learn that with practice you yeah. know i mean everyone could potentially be limited by physical attributes and what kind of shape they can get themselves into but that decision making um and and just strategy mm. is is it's all I got at this point. So I try and develop it as much as I can. But, oh, yeah, but you, I remember you're just yeah. taking off further and further and further away. And then towards the end, and then you, I kind of clawed you back in and afterwards, you said, oh, I was waiting for you. You know, we're just trying this good foiling with people. And I was like crushed. I'm like, oh, Dave's, Dave's smashed. Well, you, you touched on the wormholes and essentially all that is, and, and Matt did a good job of describing it with Eric's podcast, was two, two sets of swells that have a slightly different angle and are bisecting each other as they travel through one another, yeah. through one another. Where they're bisecting, they're, they're canceling out the steep part where you would normally ride, but they're also canceling out the uphill of what it would take to get over the swell in front of you. So if you can come into one of those situations with a lot of speed, um, you almost kind of, pump and weave your way through it and you're you're getting a little bit of acceleration on the downhill and with the with the pumping you're climbing easier and then you bank and, and you're kind of ricocheting off both swells as they're moving through each other to weave your way through yeah and while it doesn't feel like you're properly jumping over if you look at the sides of the set you, you can see you are going into the next swell forward even round. though it's not as apparent where you are, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's actually, I, I remember the first, my first experience of that was Olakai, I don't know, 2016 maybe, maybe, and you're ahead and I was following your line because you, you're the, still are one of the best out there for sure. And a boat or a jet ski had just gone past us both and, you know, that can put a lot of people off in downwind. You lose your rhythm, this and that. But I remember seeing you and using the swell or the, the wash of the boat pushing one way and the wind swell pushing the other way. And you were sitting in this like little, as you just explained, these two swells intersecting and just getting propelled. And, and I was right behind you on the next one behind. And I remember being like, man, this is like, this is amazing because we were going double the speed because the two were together. And it was, yep. um, I think I, I, I out paddled you or outran you in the flat but it was, um, you know, you beat me on the downwind section of the run. And it was, but that to me was a real big, like I was just a sponge soaking up all the information I could at that time. And that was the first time I really realized that, you know, obviously the boat wash made it a bit artificial, but swells doing this create this, you know, double speed, you know, this A-frame yeah. effect and you're just, happens less on a stand-up, but on a foil all the time it's like oh see you later you know i'm on this one yeah yeah it's um a cool little trick and i you know it's hard to even get yourself in those situations let alone you know explain it to someone who has never experienced it but when you find yourself in that situation you just want to i guess run with it and um staying in the foil staying high on the mast like allows you to keep the speed of that for as long as possible yeah, I'm, you know, it's, it's different for almost every body of water of how the swells run in a downwind situation. But there are certain dy dynamics that are consistent through every downwind location. Um, the trick becomes identifying those patterns. There's certain, there's, there's always patterns, even though it seems like complete chaos out there. Mm. And, and once you can identify those patterns, um, you, can make, you can make overall general strategies. Like if the big ones are coming from your right, moving towards your left, you know, okay, if I can cap into one of those, you know, I might either be moving towards my left or I go across it and I, that's where I'm gonna get my real big speed. Uh, the the true wind swell might be running straight at your back, and that might be more of a mid-sized swell. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of times there's refraction from the beach um, where those swells are smaller, and they at times tend to move back out towards the open ocean. And so it's like, okay, well, if I get in a lot of trouble and I need something, I'm going to look for those little ones moving back out, and at least they'll keep me moving. Mm -hmm. The middle ones, a lot of times, can get me up to speed and launch me into those big ones that are coming through every now and then. And so if you can recognize the general patterns in your body of water, mm. you can develop a strategy that you can apply a lot of the time, but not all the time, because it, it, it's always changing and nothing's absolute, that's for sure. That's but like the gorge it's a narrow body of water, but the swells are incredible. 
and you're getting bending of swells, but it's not from the shoreline or the bottom, it's from the current in the deep spots. Mm -hmm. And so you get a little bit of horseshoeing effect, but that creates the, the swells passing through each other. And so there's a different dynamic of how they're formed, but that pattern exists there. Mm -hmm. Like it does on Maui, like I'm sure it does in, in your downwind spots. It's just a matter of figuring out are the big ones moving out to sea or are they, you know, going from the shore back out or whatever. It's just, just mm -hmm. the recognizing those patterns. And, and that really comes more as you get more experience and you can start to identify those, those types of things really help propel you forward. Yeah, I think you're right. But it's, I think even just if, if, you know, if you had zero downwind experience, you're listening to this, if you could just paddle out to your local spot and, and identify those three, you know, bumps or swells that Dave's talking yeah, about. It might be two. It, I mean, in Kihei, yeah. a lot of times it's only one. It, yeah. It's so clean and perfect. Everything's moving the same way. Yeah. But there's always, there's always a pattern. Yes, there is always. And, and it, yeah, if you can identify that pattern, then it's going to help you understand what's going on, why it's going on, and how to get the best out of it. So I think that's a really, really powerful thing. And that's one of the things I sort of touch on with my coaching is you've got to be aware of what it is you're doing aware of what the conditions are doing and aware of how you're going to get the best out of those conditions and same with where you're sitting on the bump are you high are you low are you going straight are you going across you know all these little things make the world of difference when, when you're downwinding in any any sport you know whether it be paddling a canoe whether it be paddling a stand-up whether it be swimming even you know it's all it's all relevant mm. yeah a, another thing that just came to mind sort of back to the paddle on my back um, was when you're making decisions, I, I can't stress enough how important it is to commit to those decisions, be, be it right or wrong. Mm. You, you gotta commit to them. Even if it's a bad decision, commit to it from the, from the split second you make that decision, commit to it because you give yourself a better chance of success and making, let's say it's a connection point. Mm. If you commit the, the minute you doubt your decision, you're operating halfway into the backseat, meaning you, you're already putting yourself a little bit behind the situation, which increases the difficulty of the situation just because you hesitated. Yeah. If you make a decision and, and hopefully it's the right one and, and you, you, you got a trial and error and, make the wrong ones occasionally to learn but the one thing that absolutely is true is commit to the decision and really 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 fight yourself when you think you might doubt what you just decided on yeah commit all to in. it yeah all in all in yeah <laughs> that's a that's another good one because sometimes if it's a bad decision and you hesitate on it that makes it you know twice as bad a decision so you, you literally exactly. no speed uphill off foil and you have to paddle up um i want to start wrapping things up but i want to i got a few more questions i want to talk to you about and that's winging yeah. have you done much like wing i got a wing -a ding downwinding um over in maui I, I don't do it a lot and i especially haven't done it much lately but th there was a i have spent some time doing it and figuring it out and downwinding with it um you know, cut to the chase. If it's windy enough, 
to do a downwinder with a wing, it's windy enough for me to do a downwinder with my paddle. Um, yeah. And I would rather ride without the wing in my hand. Mm. Um, do you want to explain now, why that is? Why? Yeah. Uh, just because I feel like the wing sort of, um, it doesn't allow me to move as freely. It blocks my vision. I get distracted dealing with it and, and keeping it sort of floating. Mm -hmm. um, and I know if you go more sideways to the wind, it, it floats itself. But on really good swells, when you want to take off with them, sometimes you're going faster than the wind and you know it droops down unless you put it on your head. And now you're kind of riding in a little bit of an awkward position. So generally, I'd rather downwind without my wing. Now riding waves with a wing on a windy day is insane that that's great fun you know um going up wind on the wing with a foil is insane how high you can point yeah. and how much ground you can cover so quickly relative to any other sailcraft i've ever used mm. and so it's a bit of a compromise but you can sail up wind and then do a downwinder or like what you're figuring out is sail up when with your wing and deflate it for the ride down yeah and and that's really cool but uh no i'm stoked on the wing because it's lowering the boundary of of uh entry for people to figure out what foiling is about so i'm a, i'm a huge proponent of it i think it's a great thing that that just has added so much to foiling in general um it sort of messed up my elbow when I was doing these long upwinders to play with the downwind aspect of it. Yeah. So that that's kind of cooled my jets a little bit on doing these big upwinders until I get myself set up with a harness. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's a great thing and I'm stoked that it's caught on as much as it has because I think it'll just, you know, it, it, if that's as far as you get, great. It's, it's a fabulous thing in its own right. But yeah. if it's your gateway drug to riding waves on a foil <laughs> or figuring out the downwinding or whatever it is, you know, yeah, um, I, so I think it's great. Yeah, it, it, it really is so versatile. And, and, and I guess you're explaining, you, you're like free wing downwinding. So you're holding it down at your hip when you turn around. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. What, what I've seen a lot of the guys do like racing wise is they're like sailing with a uh, one of the guys like over here we call it power dinghy so they're just like that's how alex downwinds he, he's got it loaded to the max and just <laughs> you know but it's, it's kind of cool because he'll go down he'll bring his wing and on a good windy day with big swells we'll race yeah you know me just normal stand up downwind foiling and him with his wing yeah. And essentially we figured out that he, he is a little bit faster ultimately yeah. with, with his wing than I am. But if, if he falls, I'll pass him. It's, yeah. it's not by much, yeah. but he has the advantage. Yeah. Is he using a smaller foil than you when you're going down or is it same equipment? Yeah. He's yeah. 160, 130. Yeah. And yeah. if it's really a windy day you could probably go even smaller yeah yeah that, that that really intrigues me because when i first saw it i thought everyone was just free winging downwind and then I, I spoke to kane and he was saying no no we're like sailing downwind and i'm it's never windy enough here really I, or when it is that windy i'm downwind paddling you know 
or downwind foiling with a paddle. So I never understood that. And whenever I was going out, I was free winging. And as you said, it's like a blindfold sometimes. It goes out in front of your vision and you're literally foiling blind. And it's the yep. most terrifying thing because you, you can't see. You can't see. Um, and you're going to fall into the, into the wing and all this, you know, all these negatives. But as you said, there's so many positives and so many different ways to use it. Sailing up, yep. wave riding, power dinging, free winging. It's all these really cool, you know, they haven't even touched on the freestyle stuff. All the guys doing the freestyle stuff is something I haven't even opened that box yet. It's but, crazy. Yeah. It's crazy what they're doing. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Just amazing. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. Oh, I'm excited to see where it goes. And for me, I'm probably like you, most excited about the wave riding with it. It's like you're towing yourself in. It's a self-whip, just using yep. the wind. And, and when you're on the wave, it's, it's not really any different to if you're holding the wing or not. Really, it just floats behind you. It's the only. I agree. It's it's less cumbersome than a downwinder. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's the only wind sport that I've done or that I've felt is that when you're on the wave, you're not getting pulled or you're not um. It's the least um, the least negatives at least when you're on the wave because you're just foiling and the wing is it's there but it's not pulling you anywhere. Yeah. No, it, it really shuts off and allows you a lot of freedom to. Mm cruise around and catch it way outside when it's a swell and you know maybe it's a spot that never breaks you you're going to have a blast out there with the yeah, wing yeah well, i'd love to see you do the the wing upwind when you when your elbow's better and and then try deflate and like because you're not even using your paddle i would dare say you wouldn't even need to bring your paddle and you could just once you deflate the wing you just hold it like in your under your arm and i I would say you get all the way back, no, no, no problems. Um, having your paddle with the, you know, with the tube, the, inner, the sling, that's something I've got to use. But that's, I just popped one of my bike tires, so I'm going to use that that inner tube <laughs> as my sling. Um, so, yeah, it's got me all pumped up because the paddle's always been a tricky spot to whether I put it in the boom or in my bag. Well, the the first time, like, if you're interested in going without a paddle, I would say do a few runs where you just hold your paddle in your hand and really commit to not using it. Mm. And then, I mean, if you really absolutely have to, you have access to it, but if, if you can't do a run with, without using it, there's no point throwing it on your back. Yeah. You know, yeah, sure. but if you can do it without using it, then absolutely you're ready. Yeah. Sling that thing on your back. Yeah. You're going to make some mistakes, but it'll force you to learn how to make better decisions and earlier and identify things earlier, which, which is a big component of the whole thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, very cool. One last question just to finish up. And when you said you went to Oahu's South Shore, I got really excited because I thought you might've hooked up with the, um, the voyages. Have, have you seen them on Instagram? The Voyager foilers, they're doing downwind runs on their prone boards, like, like surf prone boards. So they're, you know, four, six, um, from Blacks, I think back to like, you know, the Outrigger Canoe Club or, you know, around Diamond Head. And um, right, right. I'm loving watching their footage. But, but for me, I get a lot of people asking, you know, oh, I want to do, I want to learn to downwind. I'm like, okay, do you want to like, do you want to wing? Do you want to stand up? No, I want to prone. Okay, how big a board? Oh, on this one that I surf on. And I'm always like, here, it'd be really difficult. 
you know, and in Maui, I guess I was, it was a stoke to get you on because I was wondering how many guys are doing prone foil downwinders, you know, say starting at who keeper. Not many. Yeah. Not many. I mean, there are guys that can do it and they have done it, but it hasn't really caught on. Yeah. Like it has on Oahu. Mm. Uh, now I know what you're talking about. I definitely want to go with them and see what they're riding. Like, are they really riding windswell or is it windswell on top of the wave because they're close to the serve? Yeah. Or what, like, what are they really tapping into? It's got me really curious. Mm. And, and then, yeah, I just, I want to, I want to go to all these different spots and figure out what their swells are like what are they yeah. riding for downwind yeah you know mm. it's 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 weird it's like the, the light days around here a lot of people kind of like yeah you know it's not very good to me though i still love going on those days because it's more work so i get a little more exercise but they really force you to work on your your decision making um pumping out of situations early decision making and and they really force you. They they magnify everything. Yeah. Any mistake you make is magnified, right? Yeah. So you you really have to get ahead of all your decisions, getting ready to pump through bad places or flat spots, and yeah. um and then when it gets windy again, it, it almost feels like I'm cheating. It's so easy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. It's anyone can downwind when it's windy. You know, not anyone, but once you get it, it's the decision making is less important. The wind's blowing you so much that, and on those yeah. days, which which I've always thought that you know, from, from Olagai to Oahu, Australians always had a bit of an advantage over the Hawaiians because you guys always have wind, and you only go when it's windy most of the time. Whereas here, we the, our winter is when we is our lead up to going over to Hawaii, and so we've had three to four months of basically no wind. And if there is wind, it's not very good conditions. A lot of the time, it's a bit too offshore. So we've got that sort of strength. But in that, within that strength, there's also a bit of decision-making when the conditions get worse. So it's right. less mistakes because we're subject to worse conditions. Mm. And then that trans- yeah, I don't think there's ever been a question. You, you guys, as a whole, have always been more fit than the Hawaiian guys when it comes to just pure paddling conditioning. Yeah. Yeah, you know, animals. The, not many guys over here swam, did flat water paddling mm. as a preparation for yeah. downwinding. It's like, let's go downwinding for <laughs> preparation and downwinding. <laughs> so yeah, I, unfortunately, I guess I've been in Maui so much previously that that I kind of I felt like I turned into more of a Hawaiian style training regime because i would paddle when it was windy and if there was a, a week where there was no wind like oh, i haven't trained much this week and i'd have to force <laughs> myself to you know go with the, the the paddle crews and do some flat water stuff but it's um yeah I'm, I'm really missing maui it's um the longest time i haven't been there for probably like 15 years you know i usually go every every summer and originally kiting and and then paddling and, and now foiling and yeah I'm, um i miss the the crew kind of off topic but when are you going to make it over here you know i'm always looking for sparring partners so yeah i i i don't know there's actually a bit, a bit of a COVID outbreak you know 
don't know, 15 kilometers away from where I live. So it doesn't look like any time in the next few months, hopefully 2022 when um, things start to, to settle down a little hopefully. bit. Touch wood, fully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, let me wrap it up, Dave. That was so many, you know, nuggets of gold in that chat. Um, downwind stuff, design stuff. That I love the prone downwind story, and I'm going to try to get one of those one of those guys from Oahu on to to, to you know really find out what it is they're riding and what it is they're doing because it's I love that they're just going in these massive crews, you know, 20 guys in one track, <laughs> all going up to the start and just foiling together it looks like a, an unreal vibe yeah well the the traveling's opened up within hawaii and so that's why i was able to go over there a few days ago and and yeah when the wind gets a little better again i'm definitely going to go back over there and and try and connect with those downwind guys and see what they got going yeah but uh it's been great chatting with you james i i hope you get over here sooner than later yeah but i just wanted to say you know, I'm stoked. I love listening to everything you got going and how much you're trying to create the community for foiling and supporting it with information and teaching and all of that. So I'm, I'm super stoked with what you're doing and keep it up, man. You're doing a great job. Yeah, I'm just trying to create some more sparring partners for us, Dave. Yeah, it's so fun going with people that, and what I've found is, you know, this is sort of dragging out now, but what i found is once people get the skills to downwind foil, once you get over that initial hump, and it's a steep hump to get over, once you get over that, everything's super even. People are pretty, like, the equipment definitely keeps you within this range that if you don't fall, you know, two minutes maybe is the only difference, you know, based yeah. on those decisions. And, and in terms of the racing, it's training down and runs racing whatever you want to call it it's it is so much fun like going out so with similar speeds and you just it just adds a, but you can still be you know hundreds of meters apart kilometers apart and then all of a sudden you're right next to each other on the same bump and it's like oh, yeah i thought i dropped you you know and all of a <laughs> it's it's such an epic thing it's so yeah. fun yeah so I can't wait for everything to open up so I can get over there and um, we can see how this downwind foil sport evolves into whatever it could be because at the moment it's everything, which is awesome. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Dave. And um, I'm sure we'll have to... No, hopefully I can get over there and we can do one in person together and we can... Um, I hope so. Yeah. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah, thanks, Dave. <laughs>